This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuning into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to be looking at creative spaces in KL and reflect on our relationship with them. Kuala Lumpur is known for a lot of things, but some would say that maybe we're not that well known for our cultural and creative spaces, despite having a fair share of them here. It's a statement that has gotten me and heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa thinking, and we've decided to talk about it in this month's episode. Here's our chat. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if I were to ask you, um, or ask you know the man, you know, a general person who lives in anyone who lives in KL or, or within the Klang Valley, right? You know, if you were visiting KL or if you had visitors, where would you take them? You know, and and a lot of things that will roll off your tongue will be the tourist spots, right? And among those tourist spots, um, and then and then things related to food, and things related to shopping, um, and some kind of entertainment facilities. But we don't say, oh, you know, you really must go to this museum, or you really must, you know, uh, there is this great show on in the theater, you know, or which, you know, or in the many many theaters, you know, that kind of thing. And there isn't a sort of like a, a listing, right, that you would find in. Big cities, even and and cities like Singapore, where you will find a creative, a cultural diary, um, weekly diary, monthly diary, where you will then daily diary, where you will say, okay, you know, there is this from sort of smaller places to you know a jazz club and a comedy club to uh, the Philharmonic, you know, or or, or large um, uh, you know national um, art galleries, and I think that for KL. It's probably not going to roll off most people's tongues. I don't know. You know what? What would you think? I mean, would you agree with me on that? Yes. Um. Obviously, because of what I do, I am a bit more aware of our cultural and creative <laughs> spaces here and there. But but if I'm not in this line of work, I would probably yeah be less aware of of I guess the more niche cultural spaces apart from the I guess the more common one that we perhaps are aware of by virtue of like, like for example Istana Budaya and places like that right or maybe like a KL pack but other than that like I guess I, I would think that I wouldn't even like recognize or know about other smaller spots more niche spots or even like the more historical ones if you know what I mean mm-hmm. but I think it's also not about the places themselves you know the direct place the physical place but it really is also what ha- is happening within those places you know and I think that if we think about KL trying to project itself and wanting, you know, to project itself as a clean, green, vibrant, international, world-class city. The arts and culture has to be there on the agenda. And yet it isn't really there. It's kind of there peripherally, isn't it? I mean, for the majority of people, I suppose because of the work I've done in my lifetime, <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's very much part of my, I suppose my um, awareness. But yeah, I think it would be quite unusual. So you know, do you do you say do people generally say on the weekends? Oh, let's go and oh, there's this show at the National Art Gallery, or there's this temporary exhibition uh, going on at the National Museum, or at this local art gallery that's in my neighborhood. Or let's just go to the theatre because, you know, this and the performance space, you know, because this 
group uh, or this this show I've heard has really good reviews. Um, and then, you know, because the shows maybe last a week, five shows, um, three shows, sometimes um, a bit longer, maybe over two weeks. But generally speaking, not the kind of like, oh, let's go to Broadway and the show has been showing for the last, you know, 20 years, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we don't we don't have that here in, in, in KL. And not that it makes it a bad thing, not at all, but we demonstrate, I think what, it, what for me anyway, it's an indicator that we don't really, that is not, as you said, something that we would sell KL on or that we think really about KL. But... Going back, if you want to go back um, intergenerationally, if we look now at, um, yeah, if you want to go and see a show or you want to see a performance, uh, you mentioned KL Pack, and then of course there's PJ Pack, there's Damansara, you know, Pack. There are all these different uh, performing arts centers, which are smaller theaters, which have maybe a mixture of one or two. Uh, performance spaces, maybe, you know, a studio, maybe related to it or beside it, a cafe or two, where you have um, the possibility of bumping into people who are involved in the arts and who may be a little bit more known, yeah, uh, because they have a following um, an Instagram, they, uh, you know, following or their influences or they are, you know, the star of the show, so to speak, right? So you do have places like that, which people will say, oh, you know, I'm going to go and listen to this group play music or this singer in this club. Um, but it's sort of almost an effort, isn't it, to find out what's going on. It's not like you can pick up a magazine, a newspaper, look online and find this. And I think that that if we just go back a decade, we go back to the 1990s, um, KL had a, a, a listing, you know, 1980s, 1990s, in the newspapers when there were, when the internet first sort of like took off, you know, there were listings which um, you could get hold of that came out on a regular basis. And you would know uh, Time Out would, would list and, you know, online um, what shows were on. I, I don't know that that's so prevalent anymore. I don't know. Am I correct? You you do BFM, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we used to have shows where we do listings. Um, but I guess um, these days, not so much. But I'm sure there are still a lot of things still happening within the scene. But the thing about, I guess, um, these things is that I feel like it's also it's highly dependent on your interest, right? And I think maybe to a larger extent outside this bubble, I think our appreciation of culture doesn't extend to that. I mean, we're not the theatre-going kind of society, I feel. like I, I think, that I, and I'm speaking on behalf of the, I guess, the larger population, I suppose. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street, right, when it comes to this. And that's because we, like you said, these things have never been made so explicit to us, right? So therefore, we don't know that there is an option to actually go to theatres. So we tend to just, I guess, settle for the you know, cinemas, Cinema. rather than cinemas, yes. rather than rather than rather than theaters, right? I mean, which is also why I I, I think you know once upon a time, um, some of the more iconic cinemas are also as popular, because I think mm -hmm. there is mm -hmm. that that appeal compared to I guess going to theater, which which yeah, I mean, admittedly, it's also a bit 
in terms of the I guess it's a form of quote unquote entertainment that's a bit more how should I say it properly like a bit more cultured quote unquote you know what I mean well yeah I mean you know then then you can you know we can cut and slice this whole question of what is culture but which we won't go into and there is so so let's look at it from from the entertainment perspective and if you're looking at the entertainment industry uh things like which are the more sort of either popular or the more uh, promote so cinema certainly is there right or and mainstream cinema is there but independent cinema is not really um, so much there. So we do have little festivals uh, where you have independent um, films being shown, but it is not, and that's much more in an urban context. So yes, we're talking about the Klang Valley and so you get more of that. But I think that I I have this sort of um, feeling and I may be wrong and people may disagree, but um, you know that sometimes it's sort of related also to language and uh, different groups of people and and their interests. So if I am um, interested in traditional music, what exactly does that mean? You know, do I go and listen to a Chinese orchestra play, a traditional Chinese orchestra play? Or do I listen to, and and do I have the, is is it there around for me to go to um, and learn these instruments? Or is it just, you know, sort of more the Western classical style music, right? Um, so where do we, what, what do we fit into and, and what are these trappings of culture? That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, giving her take on creative and cultural spaces in Kuala Lumpur. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and I'm joined by our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa. We've been talking about creative spaces in KL, their prominence among the larger population and our relationship with them. Elizabeth is going to continue the conversation by looking at the more well-known creative spaces in our city. Let's talk about sort of more general spaces. I think that in the... Let's talk prima decala, you know, the pre and the post. Why don't we just sort of like look at that as a sort of a, a, a watershed? You know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, we're looking at um, the period leading up to um, the 1950s and 1960s. In this area, what did we have? We had a national art gallery which started from the, in, and that was at what is now Matic, yeah? And uh, the, Jalan uh, on off of on Jalan Ampang or off Jalan Ampang, and um, the art gallery was a purpose built. I mean, it wasn't purpose built. It was put into an old house until it moved um, in the early 1980s to what was the majestic hotel and is now back to being a hotel with an extended uh, new uh, new block, right? Because it needed more space and this building was available. So nothing purpose built until what we see as the Balaisani Nagara on Jalan Tun Razak now, which is a purpose built uh, gallery space um, that 
in the 1990s, in the mid to late 1990s, when it came up. So, but prior to that, we did have museums. And within those museums, there may have been smaller spaces um, that might be dedicated to the fine arts or the visual arts. And then there were also little spaces which were more sort of like um, community spaces. And I will mention here the British Council Hall, which was um, built in the 1950s, in the mid-1950s. And it had a very, very vibrant arts program. Um, There were always, there weren't many spaces for artists to exhibit. Um, you want to do a show, you know, there weren't the kind of commercial galleries that you now find available um, throughout the the Klang Valley and throughout the country, as a matter of fact, smaller and larger, but dedicated um, commercial galleries. The British Council Hall was there and it had music and performance and theatre and film and art exhibitions that went on there you know, starting from the 1950s, uh, 1956, when the hall was built. And if you look at early reports, which I had the privilege of looking at, um, out of the British Council, um, they would report every year, really quite, if if you're looking at, you know, the big names nowadays, you know, of of, um, artists from the original, from the early generation of Malaysian artists, whom we consider to be Malaysian artists, they all exhibited there. And that was that was the place because it was you were able to to not you know have to sort of go through extraordinary um, hoops to get into a national establishment because there wasn't a national establishment at that point, right? Um, so you 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 had these kinds of um, these are I think the start of um, this this notion of of cultural space, but you had. KL, the Pangong, what we call the Pangong Wanaraya, the one, you know, next to, um, well, opposite next to the river um, and very close to Masjid Jame. Pangong Wanaraya was the town hall and the town hall was a dedicated theatre space, which had something like, you know, seating for about 400 people. It had um, a fly tower. I don't know whether you know, I mean, theater people will know a fly tower means you can, you you know, you have um, a rig which you can, which is high, much, much taller than the, 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 the height of the opening of the stage. So you can bring down, up and down your, your, your set. You know, you, you have these screens and things like that that you can bring up and down and you could use it um, for sort of more dramatic effect. And it had a little orchestra pit which could be covered and all could be open. So it was much more um, traditional, if you want to say, what we considered to be traditional theatre space, Not, but the notion of theatre uh, was not local, yeah? Um, so you would have dance and performance in those spaces, musicals, uh, which were not for the local um, cultural, traditional audience. So you wouldn't get Wayang Kulit or you wouldn't get Chinese opera in there. But you also had other places where you could get Wayang Kulit or um, Chinese opera because those might be built on temporary stages and they would pop up related to festivals and occasions. But there were also other places which use um, the, the halls so the Chinese, uh, the Selangor Chinese Assembly Hall, for example, on on Jalan um, 
Maharaja Leela has a, a theater with a stage, with lighting, with sound. And, and um, you, a visiting Chinese opera troupe from abroad might go and perform there uh, formally. So there is the tradition which might be related to your uh, religious or your cultural practices and your um, traditional you know, community practices. And then there might be the more formal performance element, uh, like a visiting troupe, uh, which might be very famous or has a famous star or something like that, that would come not directly linked to a festival, a traditional uh, religious festival or, or cultural festival. So you have these spaces, I think, which were all around the city all around the town. Schools all had halls, right? Even your school, you know, new schools, old schools, they all had halls. And on these halls, there would be the, the school play and never mind, every day it would be used for assembly, but your performances would be in there and uh, your price giving would be in there. And uh, they were stages. And so people did understand this notion of a formal uh, theatre space or a performance space. And um, I think in the, even in the 1960s and 1970s, we have the Tapian Galingang. I don't know whether they, I know they're still around, but these were community halls that you could have weddings and you could have, um, you know, activities and performances in, but it was within local community groups and maybe um, housing places, you know, like, like let's say flats or low-cost housing flats. And you would have a Tapian Galengang, which would be linked to it, that may have a library space. I mean, but the, the performance space was there. And so if you did a performance in a space like that, it was very local. People would come. Then there's the question of cost, right? Um, do you pay for your ticket? How much do you pay for your ticket in a more formal space? Um, you know, nowadays we're talking about sometimes quite a few, quite a lot of money, you know, and so you had to have disposable income. You had to have time and you had to have like the understanding of what you are going to see or what you're going to experience. Um, and Tell me, you know, when was the first time you even went into an art gallery as a child? Um, you know, what was your first experience of it and did it and how did it impact you? And do you go back to galleries? I mean, my kids, um, when they were growing up, I mean, they, because of the nature of my work, that was kind of par for the course. Like, okay, okay, you know, I'm setting up a show or something like that, you know. So you run in and out of galleries. But it's quite an unusual experience because most people, to do that, you kind of have to make the effort, right? Um, and you have to spend money. You have to spend money to get there. Then when you get there, you have to kind of figure out, if I see a modern art piece, you know, do I understand it? You know, how do I understand it? How do I get to understand it? You know, is there interpretation? So it's all kind of linked to education and this notion of, of culture. And I, I think it's really quite interesting, but just name the number of galleries that you find now in the 1980s. You wouldn't have found that number of commercial galleries, but now they are all around us. And there are a lot of community groups that have set up 
um, spaces which could be turned into galleries, you know, and these are privately owned and managed alongside the publicly owned uh, spaces which are larger potentially larger, probably larger, have are more sophisticated because they have sort of more sophisticated equipment. But the kind of shows that go into them or the kind of performances that you find in these spaces, if they are owned by the public sector, will be quite different from if they are owned by the private sector. So a theatre group that owns its own performance space or it has a relationship with someone who has a performance space and they put shows in there, um, will be quite different from what you might find in, um, you know, in DBKL's auditorium. There are uh, different, um, I think there are different drivers for what you find there. Also, who owns it, what kinds of things they want to show and display and be associated with. So, you know, I mean, but KL now has, and since the 1990s, you know, so for over 20 years, Kuala Lumpur has state-of-the-art national theatre. It has a state-of-the-art, which which is owned by um, and run under the Ministry of of Culture, right? Um, Arts, tourism. Um, Then there is uh, the the -the state-of-the-art Dewan Philharmonic, um, you know, within the Petronas Twin Towers that was purpose-built, you know, an 850, 900-seat formal uh, music, classical uh, music orchestral space which you you know with 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 an organ you know which which is quite brilliant actually but because you only used to get organs in churches for example you know and not in in a theater space because there wasn't um the the opportunity the ability the cost the kind of capital what do you call it your your capex yeah you have to have a lot of um cash in the bank you know in order to even set it up in the first place so what what are we looking at when we talk about cultural spaces? I think we're looking at formal spaces. We're looking at pop-up spaces. And we're looking at more institutional, um, government-style uh, spaces. And they all have their roles. They all have their audiences. Um, what I think, for me personally, I think it would be nice, it would be great if there was more programming. Um, and um, there was more choice, I think, in terms of consistency. You know what I mean? Because pandemic aside, you know, uh, there were some spaces which were constantly programmed. And so you you had seasons. You would go through like um, the Dewan Philharmonic would always have a season. And then they would have a, a season when they, were, when they were dark. And meaning that, you know, because musicians would play for, you know, a certain number of months. And then after that, they would need a break. But then you 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 found um, music, classical music as well, in other uh, spaces, in, in, in ensembles, in little um, clubs, in little uh, performance spaces, locally by local musicians as well. And you get that. So it, it but if you're not plugged into kind of a network, you don't really know what's going on. And I think that that's what we lack. Mm, yeah, true. I agree. Um, 
I mean, I don't want to romanticize it, but I think once upon a time, I mean, now at least um, we can we can pinpoint to certain more famous spaces as the I guess the hubs right of 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 all these cultural activities. Uh, but prior to I guess the existence of KL Pack, Damansara Pack, um, and all these spaces, um, where were I guess the hotspots? You know, and Pangong Madurai even like because I I I remember seeing you know images that people conjured up about how sometimes you know community themselves you know can can have like a like a pop-up space like you mentioned earlier right where they suddenly organize like a theater performance or even like a screening of some old movies so what what i guess that means is that technically our society is capable of i guess setting up their own their own little cultural space or cultural event if they want to you know you yeah know i think I mean? that's yeah. great i mean i think that you know if if it is if uh you're right i mean and that that but you know you again you know you go like what is it for la you know do you have the the time and the financial capability to do something like that? so in school let's go back to when you were kids right if you in if you went to kindergarten if you went to school um there would always be the place where even i think up to today where you would have a a stage performance. It, it might be a, a, a drama, you know, you, you have your school drama competition even. And um, and it could be a new play. So you would write your own play. You, you, the students, would get together with your teacher and you would write your own play and you would perform your play and then you would uh, perform your play in front of your peers. And uh, maybe, you know, you would... Uh, be part of a competition, and then of course it you know you on on a smaller scale you you have things like um your little uh, music groups or people choirs choirs singing or choral speaking you know this is all sort of part of of culture this is all part of performance which is external to your you don't do choral speaking on a normal day do you you don't play uh you know in a band on a not you actually have to kind of make an effort to do that you kind of have to have some kind of training even if you don't have formal training you go through a, a process of, of training and learning um to understand and and to perform um and that make you have to make time for that so if you um, are very exam oriented and uh, you are going to tuition and you're doing all of these things, um, you may or may not have the time or the inclination to doing that. Then there's that, so you the performer, that's one. On the other hand, there the other side of the coin, of course, is you the audience, right? So you have to have both. You have to have something to put on show and people to be involved in that, but you also have to have the people who want to go and see it. So go... I go back to my question, you know, when was the first time that uh, you, you, including the, the listeners, you know, to your show, to this show, um, when was the first time you encountered a formal um, art uh, exhibition? Not in school, yeah, but in a space which was dedicated for an art exhibition. When was the first time you encountered a formal uh, theatre performance? Was it when you were in school? Was it when you were in university? Because a school hall and a tapian galengang, these are all multi-use places, right? Uh, 
but there were dedicated uh, theater spaces. There were dedicated gallery spaces. Few, maybe, and a bit far between, but they existed. So in the 19, early 1960s, when University of Malaya uh, moved, you know, to their campus, built, a purpose-built campus in, in KL, right? There was the Dewan Tunku Chancellor, which is a big, of course, that was the convocation hall, but it had a big stage and multi-use. But next to it was a space they called the Pangong Experiment, the Experimental Theatre. And what was a, the experimental theatre? It was a black box. I mean, meaning it was, there were no fixed seats. There were no uh, fixed, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a formal proscenium uh, stage. A proscenium stage is where the audience is on one side and the performance takes place on the, you know, you are facing the stage, right? In a, the experimental theatre, the performance could take place uh, in the round. It could take place at one end. It could take place, you know, within the audience, even if you want to, uh, because it was experimental. Uh, it, was a, it was a space that you could create your own uh, place for your acting or your stage and uh, its own space for the audience to um, enjoy or to uh, participate in. And so this was, you know, from the 1960s. I mean, so you had Pangu Mandaraya, which was existing. And you had the cinemas, all of which also had little uh, stages behind the screen. So the old cinemas all had that. And then you had um, some hotels, which had ballrooms, which had, again, multi-use spaces. But then in the 1970s, you know, you start popping up uh, little fixed places. I'm not talking about the informal pop-up uh, space, uh, you know, performance space. Uh, you have the National Gallery came up, uh, different galleries. In PJ, you had the Civic Centre, uh, which had its auditorium. And these auditorium, although they were there, obviously, for um, other kinds of functions, they had performances. International people would come in and perform in them. And all along, you know, you had, oh, I should mention Stadium Nagara. Stadium Nagara, as part of its design in 1962, had a stage which was a retractable stage. Can you imagine? From the floor, you had a stage that could come up. At one end of the, this is a, a stadium which is in the round. So your seating is all around, correct? Um, but at one end of it, you could create a stage would would come up, and you could have performance on it. And um, it was it then became from a sports arena into a a performance space, a theatre space. Of course, sports is also uh, there is a performance element to it, right? The entertainment is there, and the and the competition, obviously, for for different sorts of things, uh, is there. But you have these kinds of places which could either morph or were dedicated. The Pangong Experiment in, at University of Malaya was a place that everybody from the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s would go to um, because it was almost dedicated. And, and so your famous, you know, the older generation of stars, of, of theatre actors, all cut their teeth at 
experimental theater. You know, so Datuk Farida Marikan and uh, Datuk Rahim Razali, they performed in places like that in at ET, at Experimental Theater Bangun Experiment, as it's called now. And people would go, you know, not just students, but general public. So it it created, um, uh, and it wouldn't necessarily be at such high cost, these tickets. Yeah, you're, to go and see a show, you could get a student price ticket, or you could get a ticket. Even at those days, if you're saying a ticket was thirty ringgit, uh, that was an astronomical amount of money to pay. Now people pay, you know, one hundred and fifty ringgit for a ticket, or eighty ringgit for a ticket, without kind of blinking too much, right? So you have the the. I think KL has the ability, but until I think we kind of like have sort of a better, for want of a better word, a more consistent way of promoting these spaces that have been programmed to a wider public and to say what is, there's lots of things you can go and see for free. And there are lots of things you can see for not very much money. You know, do you pay the price of a cinema ticket and a meal, um, you know, at a fast food joint? Or do you go and see a play uh, by a group of, uh, you know, young people who are experimenting or, or have something to say and they want to share it? And I think that if we don't educate, and I'm using this between quotation marks, air quotation marks, right? Educate meaning encourage our across generation to recognize that actually sometimes culture is good for the soul. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking as a cultural person, you know me. Um, it's good for you to be able to, sometimes you, you through watching dance, through watching theater, you learn something about yourself. You emotionally engage with parts of your psyche that don't necessarily get, you know, expression in our daily lives because we kind of like you know go through our routine that's what the arts does for us that you know gives us not the escape but the outlet to learn and to recognize and to connect with these other parts of our being um, that is not just straightforward how much you know how much am I earning and you know not not the mundane really but something which is a little bit more uplifting. So you go to an art show precisely for that reason, to, to see how a creative person might be expressing themselves or, or saying something, which you may not be the artist, but you can relate to. All right. Um, so just to end this session, uh, how would you advise people out there who are interested, but may not necessarily be, quote-unquote, to use the term that you used just now, plug in into the scene to be able to know and get information about how to find the listings and everything, right? Yeah. Well, the, the good news is, you know, in today's day and age, it's called, you know, Dr. Google, right? Uh, you, you, you can look for that. But sometimes you kind of need to find the keywords. I'm going to say, why doesn't BFM sort of have, you have your cultural programs, you know, and other radio stations, which do, but in some ways is, is a bit more 
limited to the audience that you have, right? So you will promote things that are related to the audience um, who listen in, which I think is definitely, you know, a good thing. Um, but sometimes to build an audience as well, we should really, you know, encourage people to just go out there and try it. Walk into a gallery, walk into a museum, uh, read up something, learn about it, ask questions. Um, most private galleries have got uh, someone around whom you could say, I don't understand what's going on. And, and don't be afraid, I think, to ask. I think we kind of like a bit sagan, right? Yeah, you know, if we ask, then it shows that we are not so, uh, we don't understand. Well, you know, how do you get to understand anything? How do you get to learn or, or find out about anything? Really, if you don't ask. So, so just be get out there and have a look at what there is. And in this day and age of COVID and pandemics and, 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 and the stress, I think, of public spaces that have lots of people in it, um, we can look at things online, we can learn things online, but it doesn't beat being there in a space and having the tactile, direct connection, not via your screen. So really, I think for me, that is something that I still enjoy doing and, 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 and do go more limited now, you know, what I go and more selective, I suppose, what I go and see and view. But there are things happening around and, and with the opening of places, um, you know, since earlier this year and certainly since you know first of may with with the opening of places i think that there will be more of this happening and so take a chance and it may not be that you will like what you see or you will understand what you see but go back go to another thing um and you you see what you like you know i think Really, it's a question of uh, bring if you have children, bring your children. If you have friends, go with your friends and go with the intention to want to look at, understand, learn and appreciate. Uh, and there will be a lot of stuff out there that you don't appreciate, that you don't like, that you it doesn't matter. But you have seen and because you have seen you can compare it with the next thing that you see. But make sure that when you go, you try to do a bit of, well, I'm not going to say research. This is my, um, you know, neuro neurosis showing. Yeah? But do a bit of, uh, you know, talk to, to whoever are within the spaces. If, if you're going to see a show, I mean, look at a program and they don't have to be, you don't have to go to things which are, expensive and and because there are always matinees there are always you know um shows which are in alternative spaces which are not terribly uh expensive um may cost you the cost of you know two or three coffees in a in a local um or you know a, a coffee shop not a kopitiam but but even a kopitiam a high-end uh, coffee shop it may cost you you know two or three coffees but if you have one coffee a day um put aside that amount and don't have a coffee that day and so once a month go and see something you know what i mean once a week don't go to your local coffee shop put aside that money and and go and see go and see a show 
go and go and listen to a theatre performance, go to a matinee, um, and talk to people. And I hope that you will, you know, enjoy that experience. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa shared her thoughts on creative spaces in the Klang Valley and our relationship with them. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you missed any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on PFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.